If you want to take your Bibles and uh, turn them to the 20th chapter of John, that's where we'll be going here shortly. Now, Lord, I pray that my words and my, uh, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable unto you, the rock of my salvation. Amen. In 1995, uh, both Pat and I were blessed and given the privilege and the opportunity uh, to start a church. And uh, we uh, began meeting in our home and had a few people who, who started with us. And soon that uh, our house became too small. And so we had to find a place to meet. And so uh, we were able to rent the cafeteria of an elementary school. And uh, it was a neat place to, to start. There were little rubber or little paper duckies hanging down from the, uh, from the ceiling of the church. And we, we started out meeting on, on the, the low seated little tables that they, uh, uh, they met uh, and they ate their lunches on. And you know, that was okay. Uh, it was a good place to meet because we know the promise of scripture that we're two or more gathered. Uh, there Jesus is with us. So uh, that's where we started and it wasn't bad. And uh, over a short period of time, uh, the church grew and it grew and it grew. And we knew that uh, before long, we were going to need a larger place in our own place. So uh, we had a piece of land and we built the church. We started the church, began the church on a Palm Sunday morning. And so we soon moved into our own building. And on, on the first Easter Sunday that we were in our church, we had our sunrise service out in the parking lot. And I began the, the service with a question to the crowd. And I said, do you ever get tired of hearing the story of the resurrection? No. Safe question, right? No. Well, in the back of the crowd, I hear this voice of this little boy who says, I do. <laughs> you see? You see? You just never know, do you? Well, because you don't, and because we shouldn't, I want to again, uh, begin this morning by going back to that. Now, we know that that last week we, we started with the, uh, we had the service where we celebrated the official uh, anniversary, if you will, of the, uh, the resurrection. But where I want to begin today is the third day that Jesus has been in the tomb. And we know that a group of women, and we know some of their names, early in the morning have traveled to the tomb and they have with them some, uh, some salts and some oils that they used in those times to prepare the body uh, of people who were dead uh, in order that the bodies uh, would not smell as they begin to uh, decay. So they reached the tomb and as we've heard so many times over the years, the tomb, the rock in front of the tomb has been moved. And they get to the tomb and they, they look into the tomb and we know what they see. 
they see no body. No body. They see no body. There is no Jesus in the tomb. One of the women, the Bible tells us her name is Mary Magdalene, becomes extremely distraught over this. And she walks away from the tomb and she goes into the garden that's around the tomb and she begins to cry. She's weeping, perhaps, you know, wringing her hands, how we would do so in grief and in such a sudden surprise. And she's crying, perhaps she's wailing in her grief. And through her tears, she sees somebody coming toward her. Again, the scripture says that she thinks it's the gardener. But suddenly she hears a voice. And she recognizes the voice of who but Jesus. He says, Mary, why do you weep? Why do you cry? Why are you in such grief? It's me. It's me. It's Jesus. And her first response, of course, is to go and what? To embrace him, to hug him. But he says, no, don't do that. It's not time yet. And so he has a conversation with her. And he says, what I want you to do right now is to go tell my brothers, go tell the disciples what you've seen and what you've heard. And so the, she and the other women, maybe they've heard her stop crying. Maybe they've gone to see uh, what's going on. They follow the instructions of Jesus and they head back to where the disciples are. Now, some of the scriptures, uh, some of the gospels say that she goes back to where the other disciples are. Some of the uh, gospels say that she goes back and she sees Peter and John. But regardless of where they go, we know that they went to the tomb to see for themselves. One says that Peter and John go there. They go ahead of the others. They want to see what's there. And we know that Peter gets there first. He, he looks into the tomb. And what does he see? He sees an empty tomb. Jesus isn't there. He's not there dead. He's not there, as the women said, alive. The other disciples get there and they see the same thing. No Jesus. And they're confused. They're disappointed. Maybe they're even disbelieving. What happened? Were the women confused? Maybe they were seeing something they hoped to see. Maybe they were seeing something they wanted to believe. But it really wasn't that. But the disciples walk away. They go back to where they were. They're confused. They're doubting. You know, the disciples saw Jesus die. They saw Jesus taken from the tomb. They saw Jesus uh, put in the, uh, the tomb sealed. Mary, they thought, says that Jesus appeared before her. Mary says that Jesus talked to her. 
They, say, they know that Mary says that he told her to do something. But, but, the tomb's empty. No Jesus anywhere. And we know that doubt is about. Doubt is reigning. Now, in John, in the 20th chapter, in the 19th verse, we read this. John says that when therefore it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now John says that later that day, the day of the resurrection, the disciples are hiding out in a house. Hmm. They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid that, uh, of the Jews because we know that the leadership of the Jews are trying to find them. Why? Because the leaders of the Jews are afraid of the very thing that's happened but more. The leaders of the Jews are afraid that the disciples are going to go take his body out of the tomb. They're going to hide his body and they're going to go spread a story that the thing that Jesus has said that he's going to raise from the dead. The disciples are going to spread a story that Jesus has indeed resurrected and the stories are going to continue and to make the leaders look bad. So they're looking for them. They want to shut them up before something can ever get started. So the disciples, to avoid them uh, being found, they go to a house. They lock the doors and they huddle together in this house. And when they talk, they probably are whispering, not even to be heard on the outside. They want to keep what's outside, outside. But you know, isn't it just like Jesus? When you least expect him, what does he do? He shows up, doesn't he? You know, not even locked doors can keep our Jesus out. You know, when we doubt, when we have fears, when things are going on that we want, don't want to go on, where's Jesus? He's there. He's right there. John says that he steps in the room. He appears before them. Even though they've tried to protect themselves from something that's outside, there's Jesus. There's Jesus. Wow. Do you think the disciples were probably scared when they first see Jesus? Would you have been? I think I would have been. At the best, they were probably unsettled. And can you understand why the first thing Jesus said was, peace be with you? Now, that was a cultural greeting at that time. 
That was a greeting that one man would say to another man when they first met. It was kind of like we would say hello. You know, I hope you're okay. I'm glad to see you. But I think at that moment it was a whole lot more than saying hello. Because I think Jesus is saying to those disciples, wait a minute, there's no need to be afraid. But there's no need to be afraid, but I'm sure that they still were until Jesus proved to them who he actually was. Look here. Here are the nail holes. Look here. Here's the hole in my side. And the Bible tells us that it was only, only until he proved to them who he was that they were okay and began to rejoice and to be happy that it indeed was Jesus. Now that's kind of often where the end of the celebration of Easter is because he's been proven alive. He has been proven to have resurrected from the grave. He has overcome death. In 1993, FBI agents have come, swarmed in and made a raid on Southwood Psychiatric Hospital in San Diego, California. The hospital is being investigated for insurance fraud. And so the FBI has raided the hospital. They've seized the records. And a, a group of agents have gone in and they're, they're beginning to pour over the records. They're looking for evidence to show that the hospital has frauded insurance companies. And they begin to work and work and work and look and look. And for hours, they're pouring over the books. They work through the morning They've worked through lunch. They've worked through the afternoon. And suddenly they begin to realize, you know, we haven't even stopped to eat. And so it's getting close to the uh, evening and, and the agent in charge realizes, you know, nobody's eating anything. So he thinks, I better get some food here and get it quick. So he looks through the telephone book. He finds a number of a, a pizza joint that's pretty close. And he picks up the phone. He dials the number. And the answer comes out, Sal's Pizza. I'd like to order 19 pizzas and about 60 cans of Coke. Yes, sir. Where would you like them delivered? <laughs> the psychiatric hospital. <laughs> the psychiatric hospital? That's right. I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> Just about everybody here's a... FBI agent. And you're at the psychiatric hospital, right? Yes. And make sure when you deliver the pizzas, go around to the service entrance because the front doors are locked. And you say you're FBI agents, right? That's right. We're all FBI agents here. Hmm, how soon can you have them here? And everyone at the psychiatric hospital is an FBI agent. 
That's right, we've been here all day and we're hungry. And everyone there's an FBI agent? How are you going to pay for all this stuff? Oh, I've got my checkbook right here. And everyone there is an FBI agent. That's right. And remember now, when you bring the pizzas, you have to go around to the back door because the front doors are locked. I don't think so. And he hangs up the phone. If you would have been the guy at the pizza joint and you would have taken that phone call, do you think that would have been a real phone call? you think the validity of that phone call was really good? Hmm. Been me, I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have. But was it a real phone call? And that's a true story, by the way. Was it a real phone call? It really was. But you know, there are times when we hear the truth. But what we hear sounds so far-fetched. It sounds so unbelievable. Almost nonsensical. Let me tell you about nonsensical. If you were to go, you don't have to, I'll read it to you. But if you were to go to the, I think it's the 24th chapter of Luke and the 11th verse, and let me tell you about that. That's when the women who went to the tomb go back to the disciples to tell them what they've seen and what they've heard. Let me tell you how Luke records that incident. He says, and when they go, let's see. Now they were, uh, now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. As nonsense. It sounded so unbelievable, so foolish, they thought it was a bunch of nonsense. Hmm. You know, when we hear the truth sometimes, it sounds so nonsensical that our logical brains shout out to us, nah. It can't be true. Not really. Okay. Maybe our, maybe our closest friends tell us something that we're desperately wanting to hear. Maybe they're telling us something that we really, really need to hear. Maybe they're telling us the one thing that will give us or restore our hope. We want to believe what they're telling us, but we just can't. We just can't believe it. Yet, 
We still want to. So out of our desperation to believe it, now it sounds like we're from Missouri. What do we say? Show me. Show me. Provide me proof so I can believe it. Now let's go to John 20, 24. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, in the, see the nails and put my fingers into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were inside Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. The first time the disciples saw Jesus, there were 10, not 12. Now we know this for a couple of reasons. One was that the night of the crucifixion, Judas, because of his guilt, goes out and he hangs himself. That leaves 11, not 12. And we know also that there in verse 24, in verse 24, it says, but Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came that first night. So, that means that there were, uh, he was not there. So that leaves 10. Scripture doesn't say why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was the kind of guy who needed to grieve by himself instead of uh, with other people. Some of us are that way, aren't we? We don't need to be with other people. We, we're the kind of person who needs to go off by ourselves and grieve. We need to kind of work our way through it and cry our way through it, at least to get over the initial shock of it. Maybe that was Thomas. Verse 25 says this. He says, the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Verse 25 says that the disciples told him. Now, King James says that they were saying to him, or they said to him, actually, I think is what verse 25 says in King James. The NIV says that the disciples told him. If we go back to the Greek root for that word, what it actually means, well, let me say this to you first. Let's say that you had a really close friend that died last week, okay? A really close friend that died last week. 
And you have a group of close friends who also was a friend of the person who died. And they came to you and they said, guess who we saw last night? We saw John. And he came and we had a conversation with him. And boy, it was good to see him. Where would you be? Where would you be with that conversation? Would you say, wow, that was good. I'm happy. I'm glad that happened. Or could you kind of stand along there with Thomas? And what would you think? You're pulling my leg, right? You're just trying to make me feel better, right? Because I wasn't with you. Haven't been there with you. You're trying to convince me of something that's not real. Hmm. Would you at best be skeptical? You know, Thomas often gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas. But you know, he really wasn't the first disciple to doubt. Remember, if we go back to Luke 24, verse 11, what does it say that the, uh, the disciples said on that first morning of the resurrection? Now, Thomas was there with them, but it says that when the women came and told them, what did they say it sounded like to them? It said it sounded to them like a bunch of nonsense. You see, they had their doubts too. But Thomas is the one who gets the rap here. So let's not be too hard on Thomas. Because Thomas doubted, as did the others, but Thomas continued to doubt even after he heard what they said. And I think I would too. But the verse here says that after having seen Jesus that that first night, they continued to tell uh, Thomas that they had seen Jesus, that they had talked to Jesus. And here the Greek word told means that they didn't tell him, oh, casually we saw Jesus. The Greek words means that they kept telling him. They kept telling him. They said it over and over and over, trying to convince him. Listen to us. Listen to us. We saw him. We talked to him. Why don't you believe us? Listen to us. And I think Thomas kept, the harder they pushed, I think there was this thing that Thomas was pushing pushing back just as hard as they were trying to convince They were wanting to convince him. Now, here's another thing. For three years, Thomas had been with Jesus. We could know that because we know that in the beginning, as, as Jesus chose his disciples, we know that Thomas was one of the original. We also know that it was three years from the time he called his disciples until his crucifixion. So Thomas had been walking with Jesus. Thomas had seen the, the, the miracles that Jesus had done. He had heard the teaching. He had seen the things that Jesus had done. He was there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. 
Remember that event? Lazarus has died. Lazarus has been put in a tomb. Lazarus has been in the tomb for three days. I love what King James says. The King James says, as Jesus says to move the stone out in front of the tomb, one of the people says what? Lord, he stinketh. Meaning his body has already begun to decay, but Jesus speaks into that tomb and says what? Lazarus, what? Come forth. Meaning that even though he was dead and his body had begun to decay, Jesus says, come out of that tomb. And how does Lazarus come out of that tomb? Alive. Jesus had the power over death. And you know what else? If you would read the 30th and the 31st verse of John, let me read it. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Meaning that Thomas was there and saw so many more miracles. I think there's only seven miracles listed in the whole gospel of John. But Thomas saw so many more miracles. Thomas saw. Thomas heard. He saw him raise people from the dead. But Thomas had this thing. He could believe that he could raise people from the dead. But to believe that Jesus could raise himself from the dead? Boy, he had trouble with that. He had trouble grasping that. Now, maybe it was just to get the other disciples off his back, but I, I don't think it was. Thomas lays out these conditions that will allow him to believe that Jesus was alive. He wanted, I think, to believe that Jesus was alive. And I think he's looking for a way. I really think that he's looking for a way. A way that he will know that he knows that he knows that yes, yes, Jesus is alive. He wants it to be true. But he needs more than them just telling him. He needs undisputable proof that Jesus is alive. He's telling his friends that not only does he have to see, not only does he have to see the resurrected Jesus, but he needs even more than that. You see, he demands hard physical evidence. He says, I have to put my fingers, I have to put my fingers in the nail holes in his hands. I have to put my hand in the hole in his side. I want hard proof. Now verse 26 takes us to the night of eight days after it says, and after eight days, again, his disciples were inside 
One other gospel says they were inside the same house that they were in the night of the resurrection. And Thomas with them, Jesus came to the doors. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. The disciples are in the same house. The doors are locked again because they're still, the disciples are still probably in fear of being found out by the Jewish leaders. And then suddenly, with no fanfare, no thunder, no lightning, no angelic chorus singing, he's alive. There stands Jesus. There stands Jesus. Even after having seen him the week before, 10 of those 11 disciples were surely startled, at least. They had to be taken by surprise. But what about Thomas? What about Thomas? After voicing his doubts, after adamantly saying his no ways, his can't be's, he had to have been shaking in his boots. So Jesus speaks these encouraging words one more time. Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's me. It's me. Now I would imagine at this point, the awe of the other disciples, the, the open mouths, the dropped jaws, the frightened eyes, the disciples have begun to whisper amongst themselves and the whispers have begun to calm down and probably smiles have begun to come across their faces. Except maybe for Thomas. Except maybe for Thomas. Now verse 27 reads like this. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving but be believing. Jesus speaks directly to Thomas. He looks directly at Thomas. And now this is important. This is important. The words he uses, the words he uses, reach here, reach here your fingers in my hands and your hand in my side. Those words tells Thomas and they tell us that Jesus hears our words when he is not there physically. And how do we know that? Because he uses the same phrasing that Thomas used and Thomas spoke to the other disciples though Jesus wasn't there physically with them. You know what that means? 
That means that he does hear our prayers. That means he does know what we say. Boy, does that give you peace? I hope it does. I hope it does. And those words also at that moment shatters completely any doubts, any fears that Thomas may have had. Seeing Jesus alive, hearing Jesus speak to him personally, Thomas no longer has any need, no need at all, to touch Jesus. Do you read in there anywhere that says that Thomas touched him? Friends, it's not there. It's not there. But still, but still, Jesus reaches out. Jesus reaches out. And what he does that for, I believe, is for Thomas' sake. That if you have any lingering doubts, I want you to make sure that what you're seeing here is not an apparition. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not something you just want to see. I want you, if you don't believe, I want you to touch me and make sure I'm real. But for Thomas, it wasn't necessary anymore. It wasn't necessary anymore. Just seeing was enough. And because of that, what do we hear next in verse 28? What do we hear Thomas proclaim? The words we all know, right? My Lord and what? My God. Now, how do we suppose Thomas said those words? Do you think he said them from falling prostrate on his face before God? Do you think you hear him because he can't speak any louder whispering those words? Or are they a proclamation of him standing up and throwing his arms wide open and saying, my Lord and my God, how does he say those words? We don't know. But does it matter? Because it is a proclamation of all his doubts, all of his fears going away. And my friends, those are words that are being spoken day after day after day after day by countless thousands of people who have come to the understanding and the realization that Jesus is more than just a name, that Jesus is more than just a figment of imagination of people, that Jesus is not a dream, but that Jesus is real. That's what it means. That's what those words mean. Thomas's hopes have been restored. And for that moment in time, for that moment in time, all is perfect in his world. Verse 29 reads this. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. I think this is a little pay attention. Listen up. 
And Jesus meant it not only for the people immediately around him who haven't seen him and didn't see him. I think it, it's meant for people, the thousands and millions of people who have believed and not seen since that. And I think it is for you and me as well. This is a blessing that's aimed at us because we have not seen yet what have we done. We have believed, have we not? It's a blessing that Jesus has proclaimed for you and for me. I think the writer of 1 Peter put it this way. He says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him, and even now you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Wow. Wow. You know, I think in part that must have described how Thomas felt when he saw Jesus and he believed happy with a glorious joy. Jesus says, when we don't see and we believe that we are blessed and perhaps with that glory and inexpressible joy. I want to go back to verse 27 here as we come to an end. Because there's again something there that can be easily missed. Jesus says to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. This is extremely important. Knowing what Thomas had said to the other disciples. Thomas had laid out the conditions for the other disciples. Remember that? They tried to convince him. They said over and over and over again, you know, he's alive, we've seen him, we've talked to him. But over and over and over again, Thomas pushed back against that. And finally, Thomas says, unless I see, I won't believe. Unless I put my hands on him, unless I can touch him, I won't believe. Don't you think that really Jesus had a right to scold Thomas here a little bit and say, after all this time, all the time you've spent me, all the time and all the things that you've seen, you still doubt it? You still doubt it? But instead, instead, Jesus puts out his arms just for Thomas to make sure. Just in case he had any lingering doubts. You see, Jesus' love, his love, is bigger than any doubts we could ever have. His love is bigger than any doubt that we could ever have. His love is bigger than any fears we could ever have. Do you have any doubts today? 
Do you need proof? Maybe somebody's here today who, like Thomas, says, I cannot believe. I cannot believe unless I have proof. Unless I can see and touch, I cannot believe. Is that kind of doubt you have today? Do you need that to believe? Jesus told Thomas, blessed is he because he saw. But Jesus also says, blessed more are those who believe without seeing. Wow. Maybe you have a different kind of doubt today. Maybe your doubt today is that you think, I believe But I really doubt sometimes whether Jesus cares. First Peter tells us that we are to cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. You don't need to doubt that. Hmm. Do you have doubts that he hears your prayers? Jesus proves in this passage that he does hear because he quoted Thomas's words verbatim. He does hear our prayers. He does hear our words. Do you have doubts? I can offer you proof today that will shatter those doubts. A part of that proof is here. A part of that proof is here. And it has been proven over and over and over again. If you haven't read it, read it. But a lot of that proof, maybe you need to touch. Reach to the person next to you. Reach to the person next to you. Because they have lived their lives with Jesus and they have their own personal experience with Jesus they have had their proof shattered or their doubt shattered just as Thomas has and they don't want to keep it to themselves they want to share it because they have believed and have not seen and as they have been blessed they want you to be blessed Please listen to that. Please listen to that. Because like Thomas, I want you to proclaim, no matter where your doubts are, wherever they lie, if you need to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day. Time's a-wasting. Today is the day of salvation. If you need a doubt to be just broken, today is the day. Because the one who can help you do away with that doubt is here today. And his name is Jesus. But the only way he can do it is as Jesus said to Thomas. And that is to believe even without seeing. Accept this truth. And in the name of Jesus, believe.
Let's pray. Father, we, without seeing, call upon your name because we know through proof that you hear. And Father, if those are here today who have not believed that you are indeed the Son of God, risen from the dead with victory, and love us so much that you care, that you hear, and that you will welcome us with open arms. If there are those here today who need that, then I would pray at this moment that they would hear the call of your Holy Spirit and call upon your name and Father ask you into their hearts because Father we know we know without a shadow of a doubt that you hear our words and you receive our words Father, if there's, there are those here today who have doubts about something in their lives, though they believe there are still doubts raging in their lives, doubts about something in their lives, doubts about something in a relationship, doubts about struggles with family, doubts about a job, doubts about something. God, we know that you're bigger than any of those doubts and are just waiting, Lord, for them to ask and for you to help those doubts be shattered to pieces because you're bigger than those and you want them to be done away with that we can have you fully as king of kings in our lives. Because as the song said today, God, you are greater. So, Lord, as we pray and as we ask, knowing that you hear and knowing that you care. Come in the power of your Holy Spirit and move. Move in a way, move in a way that perhaps some of us have never felt nor ever experienced. I ask in your name, a name that is above all names. For your glory I pray, amen.